Passion 2017 is more than a conference. It's the Jesus generation united for his fame. Join tens of thousands of 18 to 25 year olds for this incredible gathering hosted by Louie and Shelly Giglio and Passion with guests Chris Tomlin, Christine Kane, Crowder, Beth Moore, Matt Redman, John Piper, Hillsong United, Levi Lusco, Christy Knuckles, Francis Chan, and more. January 2nd through the 4th at the Georgia Dome. Sign up today at passion2017.com. Hey, I'm fired up about today, and it's always a little bit challenging to step in and follow our pastor, and he did an amazing message in this series that we're in called The Promise of Christmas. Just a few weeks back, if you haven't heard it, you need to catch it on the podcast, but the promise of God being, Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, we can't get over that. It's life-changing, eternity-altering, and it's always difficult to fill in his shoes. And then Ben Stewart jumps up last week and just makes it even more difficult to try to step in his shoes. So Ben, we're kind of, I'm kind of glad you're here, but uh, it makes it more challenging when I preach. But I just wanna echo what Louis said, amazing job that Ben did. But I've been digging around. And, uh, you know, Ben just did a thorough like review of the entire Old Testament. So it's, it's hard to come up with a promise of Christmas when basically Ben explained everything to us. But I've been digging and he's, I've got something that he doesn't. All right. And I found some things that he couldn't find. And so I hate to one up you, Ben, but I don't think you're ready for it. You know, in fact, I'll give you a minute um, to think about what I've got that you're not ready for and just tell you about the first Christmas that my wife and I shared together. We've been married five years. Any uh, five year or less people in the house on marriage, we've got it all figured out. So I'll be doing a marriage series next year. Come for that. But well, one thing I want you to know I learned quickly is fellas, especially if you're not engaged yet or you are engaged but not married, just don't us underestimate the importance of your first Christmas together, especially the importance of Christmas decorations. Can I get an amen from the fellas? I'm not, I mean, I had a bachelor pad for like 10 years and there was never a Christmas tree or Christmas decor in my bachelor pad, but that was all gonna change really quickly. I found out once we started getting closer to Christmas, she started telling me in October, September, we were only married in August, we started talking about our very first Christmas tree. And so it was a big deal. It was a big day, right, Brittany? You know it was because we went uh, straight to the, you know, right after work, we went to get a Christmas tree right around the corner at Pikes. And then we went to have this amazing, nice dinner at Longhorn. Okay, we had a dinner at Longhorn and it was quick. And then we went to, um, we went to a few different stores and we just spent so much time. I was so happy to be doing this, by the way. I just thought it was like, so important. It mattered to me so much, all the ornaments that we bought, right? So I was like, we're not going to rest and we till we find the perfect ornaments. That might've been Brittany, might've been me. I'm not sure. I can't remember, but it was a long night and it was a big deal. So we get home, it's around midnight by the time we've sorted all the Christmas details and decor, get the tree up. It was an act of God to get it in the stand. Know what you're talking about, Louie. It was a test of our marriage, but man, we made it. We survived. God is good and uh, she is patient or I'm patient. I'm not sure which one, but it's around midnight at this point. And so I'm like, babe, let's just go to bed and let's wake up tomorrow and let's finish decorating the Christmas tree together. It'll be awesome. And she's like, okay, do you mind if I just put up the lights really quickly before we go to bed? And I was like, of course, babe, no, I don't mind. And would you mind if I just you know, lay on the couch and fall asleep while you do that? Because we've been doing this for a long time tonight. It, this, and so she's like, that's cool with me. And 
So I fall asleep like I told her I would and she puts the lights up like she told me that she would. But then at 3 a.m., I wake up and she's still decorating that Christmas tree. (laughs) And this special moment that we were gonna have together and all these ornaments that we spent so much time buying together, she just put them all up herself because she could not contain the excitement. I was like, well, thank, I, re, I realized in that moment what was gonna happen you know, going forward for the rest of our marriage. This Christmas date that we would put on the calendar every year, I was the third wheel. You know, I was the tag along. It was Brittany and the Christmas tree, and then Brad, you could come and help us get it on the car and in the house, but then you're done from here on out. But that was our tradition. It is our tradition. Now, I'm not kidding when I tell you this. Brittany starts, to, is this okay that I'm saying this, babe? Um, <laughs> I typically have to run all my stories by Brittany before I get up and preach and say what's approved and what's not approved. So we had that conversation. Um, But we start talking about this. Brittany starts talking about this Christmas date. That's what we call it, the Christmas date. And when the first, when like Christmas is over in a few weeks, we'll leave our tree up as long as she can talk me into it. And then immediately we put that Christmas date on the calendar for 2017, right? We go ahead and put it in stone. I don't care what's gonna come. We are not moving it because we're gonna put up our Christmas tree on that day. She tries to keep working it into November, maybe even October if she had her wish. But I'm like, we have to wait till December 1st. That's like a rule in my house. I'm leading our family, so December 1st. But it's amazing what having that date on the calendar will do for Brittany's morale, AKA when I mess things up, if I just bring up the Christmas date and the time that we're gonna get to spend together decorating our house, she's in a great mood. She doesn't care what I might've said that hurt her feelings or maybe when I didn't take her on a date in June or July. It's like, as long as we have our Christmas date, everything's good because there's hope of a better day. There's a, an expectation of what's coming down the road. There's a looking forward to something that's better than maybe we're, what's happening right now. So fellas, I'm a good husband. I'm telling you to be a good husband. Just get the Christmas date on the calendar. Can I get an amen? Amen. No, I didn't get one right there. Let's try that again. Just can I get an amen? amen. Didn't really get one there either, but the 930, they were amazing. They said it every time I asked. So what's What's it look like? Thank you, Nate, too late. Uh, But that rhymes. Um, What's it look like for us to have that expectation, to have that desire or that belief that something better down the road is gonna come for all of us? What's it look like as followers of Jesus to have hope? That's the question for today. And there's no better promise of Christmas, right, than hope. There's no better message of hope than the story of Christmas. And so Ben Stewart, what I'm bringing to the table today, are y'all ready? Seriously, I hope you're taking notes, but here it is. I'm gonna just give you the punchline straight off the bat. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's it, that's it. I know, drop the, drop the mic, I mean, drop the Bible. I mean, can you, can you believe it? Is your mind blown? I studied hard. Some deep theological studies and Greek word studies went into the fact that I figured out that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 
And of course, you know, I'm joking because it's one of the most familiar things about the Christmas story. It's fa- in fact, it's something that we all take for granted. But I wanna ask the question today, why? Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? I want you to ask the question, why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Because if we believe, if you believe that Jesus, by whom and through whom all things were created, if God is running the universe and history is just the unfolding of his beautiful, masterful story, then maybe the climax moment of all of creation would not be a coincidence or an accident, but there would be a specific reason and a purpose in the heart and the mind of God why he chose Bethlehem to be the birthplace. I almost said Birmingham, but I didn't. Uh, Why he chose Bethlehem to be the landing spot for the son of God. We need to look at that. And specifically, I want us to think about what does it say about God that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? And what does that mean for you and for me? So if you have your scripture, we're gonna go quickly to Matthew chapter two, but we're not gonna stay there long. Just wanna give you a heads up. I just want to prove to you that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, if you're doubting me, but this is what the word of God says. Matthew chapter two, it's gonna be on the screen. After Jesus was born in, again, so familiar, right? We all know it. We know the song, do you know the song, by the way? You know this? Oh, you want to sing it together? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. We're going to sing it together. All right, ready? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. You don't know all the words right there. You know the first lyric because it's so familiar, but I was going to take a risk there and even try to sing. But it's something so familiar. But may the unfamiliar, like, can we just be reminded of the, the purpose behind it? and the reason behind it. So it would just inspire this awe of what God has done by sending his son to Bethlehem. It says, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. That's where we need to zone in. That's where you need to zone in. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. He said, Yes, Jesus was born. The chief priests spoke up when Herod was asking where he could find this promised savior, this promised Messiah. And they're like, well, everyone knows he's coming in Bethlehem because that's what the prophet said. And the prophet that's being referenced there is Micah. And if you flip back to Micah chapter five, that's where we're gonna dig in a little bit into this promise of Christmas. And a reminder to you that this boilerplate of this series is that God keeps his promises. He makes promises and he keeps them. And that's what we see right here. I'm gonna read the whole passage for you. Micah 5, verse one. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, I would try to pronounce that one, but I don't wanna embarrass myself there as well like I did with the singing. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, 
Out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned in the short term until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. Sound familiar? And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He, this promised ruler, this promised king, he will stand and he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they, the people, will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. Crazy, is it not? Don't let the familiarity of that make you numb to the story of Christmas because 700 years before Jesus showed up on earth, God promised through his prophet Micah that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. It was um, common for God to speak in those days through signs and wonders, yes, but mainly through the prophets. And the prophets, they would come with messages of repentance Hey, people of Israel, and then they got divided into two. Thank you, Ben, for explaining that to us. But Israel and Judah, repent, turn back to God. They would go their own way, do their own thing, hold their fist up to God, and he would just send these prophets with messages. Turn back to me, your first love, your king, the one who rescued you out of slavery in Egypt. Repent. Prophets would also bring messages of consequences. Hey, if you keep going that way, If you keep doing it your own way, doing your own thing, not caring about God or what he's told you to do, then there will be consequences that come. And that's what we see in the Old Testament. But he would also send messages of hope. And so you're wondering why did God put the promise of Bethlehem in this story 700 years before? Yes, it's because he wanted people to know that he keeps his promises. He's a God after his own word. What he says will come true. What he promises, he will deliver on. We can count on him. We can trust him, right? But he also put it in the story so we could live with hope. He sent a servant, a prophet, so his people could have something, have a day, a future to look forward to, and that would help them with whatever they were walking through. So let's keep digging. He makes his promises, but he also sends messages of hope when there seems to be no hope. I wonder if that's the case for anybody in the house today. You know, Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. We sing the song, another carol that I could attempt to sing, but I won't, but we see the TV ads or we've come up with this picture in our mind of all the great presents that we want and no shortage of money to buy all those presents, all of our family at home laughing and no drama, amen, that's what we're hoping for. All the kids get along and everybody's like, you know, just sitting around a table of amazing food that nothing was burnt. All your college kids are home and they just told you they had a 4.0. You know, your husband step, you know, comes back from work and said, babe, we got a better raise and a better bonus than we were even imagining. Christmas, is it not the most wonderful time of the year? It can be, but I probably wouldn't have clapped right there because people will be like mad at you because the reality is Christmas doesn't magically make all the difficult days disappear. 
Or when Christmas comes, not all the baggage gets shipped away. It sometimes just gets thrown in your face a little bit more. And that family struggle or the reality of the pressure you're under or maybe the, the stress of leading a business or a loved one who doesn't want a relationship with you or a diagnosis or the loss of someone, that just Christmas accentuates all of that. But we can see right here in the promise of Bethlehem that God knew those days were coming for the people of Israel and they, he knew they were coming for you. It says in verse one, for a siege is laid against us is what the prophet Micah said. They were under attack. They were under pressure. The enemies, the army were enclosing against them. They were coming in and threatening to take over their whole territory, destroy their city, destroy their families and ship them off to a foreign land. This ruler was for the nation of Judah. His name was Hezekiah. And the Assyrian army was beating down powerlessness, hopelessness, fear reigned. But yet in that moment, that's where another clue is given by God of the future Messiah that's gonna come and save the people. It's not the clue that you're used to at Christmas time, Professor Plum in the library or Colonel Muster in the kitchen. No, it's a clue of the promised Messiah that would save his people. That should give you hope. That should birth hope in you. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, God wants to show up in your life today and say, there's a better day coming. There's a future that I've got in store for you and don't lose sight of that. There's hope when there seems to be no hope. What he's also talking about right here, the prophet, is things were actually gonna go from bad to worse. The Assyrian army, their attack would be thwarted but the Babylonians would eventually come and take over the land of Judah and ship them off into exile. And I know some of you are stuck. You're like, man, Christmas is not all that great because Christmas just means I'm not gonna get out of this pit that I'm in. You've hit a bottom that you don't know that you'll ever come up from. I just want you to know, we want you to know, Jesus wants you to know, God's word wants you to know that you can have hope when there is no hope. Yes, Last week, if you were at the 1145, I got the chance to baptize a friend that I met through our community group and I didn't know him when he had hit rock bottom, but I've seen a changed man in his life and he, he's lived a different life and an extraordinary life in the last three years since I've known him. But his story was one of he lost his job and not soon after that, he lost his marriage and his hopes and his dreams were in shambles. And it was at that bottom, just five days after the worst of news had come, he cried out to God. He put his hope in him and God met him where he was at and slowly began putting the pieces back together where now he would say, I don't know if I would go back and change anything because what God has done and who he's made me and what I've experienced through him. That's what it looks like to find hope when there seems to be no hope. So whatever you're going, to, going through, cling to that. There was a siege, the pressure was coming, but that's when God sent Micah to give another clue of the future promised Messiah. But also um, there's hope 
to the least likely. That's what we find in the promise of Bethlehem. I'll just read it. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel. And uh, it was, Bethlehem was a small town. Podunk town, I think is how we referred to it. It was insignificant. It's one of those towns you blink and you miss it. Anybody come for one of those towns like less than five stoplights in your hometown? That, that's the kind of place. Uh, I mean, traffic was if you hit the one light and uh, just do a little quick poll so you get to know everybody. But um, who's from, who was born in Atlanta? Any, any people? It's crazy. It seems like when you're around Atlanta, not many people were actually born and raised in Atlanta. Who was born in Georgia? Okay. Uh, who was born in the great state of Texas? Now we're talking. Um, who was born in a real small country town like Bethlehem? Okay, you're not proud of that. I understand. You're like, it's not as awesome as Atlanta, not as awesome as Texas. Maybe people will judge me. Bethlehem was a small town. I was born in a small town. I, I claim Texas as my home state, but... Actually, I was born in Kansas. Like, no, I, no, don't clap for Kansas. There's nothing to clap about for Kansas. Don't leave our church, please, okay? I, we love Kansas. God loves Kansas if we don't. But I, I grew up in the, like, the box up top of Texas. At the very northern edge of that is a town called Perryton. And that's where I was raised for the first few years. And that's where my parents were living when I was about to be born. But for some reason, they decided to drive north an hour through the little sliver of Oklahoma, the panhandle to liberal Kansas, for whatever reason. My dad was born there. I guess they were trying to follow in Jesus' footsteps to get to Joseph's hometown. Or I don't know, my, it was a better hospital. Perryton must have had a terrible hospital. But I lived all of two days of my life in Kansas, and that's where I was born. And that was podunk. It was country. I, I've been back like once in my entire life, and it wasn't even all that special. But that's the kind of town that Jesus was born in. And that's absurd. That's absurd. Because the kings would be born in the palace, right? And the palaces would have been in Rome or Jerusalem. So if you're gonna send the future king, the future ruler, then he should come from the royal family into the royal palace, right? He did have you know, the royal blood, but he didn't have, he wasn't born in Jerusalem. Why is that significant? It's not about the city. It's about the message of the gospel to you and me. Because God shows up to the most unexpected people in the most unexpected places. So it's not about if you feel worthy because none of us are worthy. It's not if, you, if we've done enough to deserve God's love because none of us deserve God's love. In the announcement of the birth of the promised Savior, he said, I'm coming and I'm sending him to an insignificant place, to an off the radar group of people. Bethlehem actually had had some great days but their glory days were long gone. And that's where Jesus showed up. So I'm just wondering, asking a question, is the enemy or someone trying to convince you that you're insignificant? Are you, you typically get looked over that you think God's love could never come to you. It might come to somebody else. It might come to a better family, someone with more money. Good things always happen to them, but man, God's love is not ever gonna come to me. 
This future is not ever going to come into my life. He's never going to do a great work in my heart. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I just need to sit at the back and barely make it in the building. I just want you to know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Insignificant. Yet eternally significant. Off the radar, but not to God. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. So there's hope when there seems to be no hope. There's hope to the least likely. That's why scripture says, for God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Because of him, we are in Christ Jesus. So let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let this familiar Christmas story spur in your heart again, uh, the desire to receive God's love, but also to extend God's love to the last and to the least of these the people that we think would never wanna be a part of what Jesus is doing, the people that we think would never wanna hear what God has done for them. Let's just let this be our motivation to continue to share and continue to show the love of Jesus to the least likely and to the overlooked. Hope to the least likely, but there's also hope for today. I got the chance to go to Haiti with Bryson and our pastor Louis a few years back, right after the earthquake. And it's kind of bizarre that we even took the risk on that because it was just days after the worst destruction. And we were heading down without a clue really of what we were doing, where we were going. We had seen this article in USA Today about this family and Louis felt really compelled to go and help this family. That's a different story, amazing story what God has done through that. But we also just wanted to get to see a firsthand look of what had happened so we could then tell all the students at Passion how they could help. And uh, flights weren't really rolling down to Haiti at this point because it was just so quick afterwards. And we didn't really know anybody, but Louis met somebody just in passing and said, hey, I've been uh, spending a lot of time in Haiti. I have a home there, I have a ministry there. I know the lay of the land. You should come and visit me. This guy's name was Ray, never met the guy. And I'm trying to coordinate a lot of things, but Ray was our guy in Haiti. Well, like I said, flights weren't going. And so uh, another guy said, hey, I wanna help you get down there so we can then make this story more uh, louder and amplify it at Passion. So he offered to fly us. I was like, whoa, I've never flown on a non-Delta or Southwest Airlines jet. And so this sounds pretty cool, even though we're going to really hard times. Well, it was really gracious of him, but it was also the slowest plane, a slowest prop plane that I could ever imagine. And flying over the ocean in that thing with the hose as a restroom was probably not what I envisioned in my mind when I thought we're gonna be flying private, right? But we, so we go to Fort Lauderdale to land, then we try to get to Haiti and we leave really late at night and we show up and because of the destruction and because it's Haiti, there's hardly any lights on in the entire city. You can't see and the airport was closed. So we're in foreign territory, uh, not knowing really how we're gonna meet this guy and we show up and they don't even know what to do with us. Some guy just kind of sneaks us in the country, gives us, I think what was a fake stamp to our passport to prove that we were there. And then we had our bags standing on the curb going, what are we doing? But then came Ray, my man. 
And Ray forever has a place in my heart because if it weren't for Ray, we would not have gotten out of that country alive. He knew where he was going. He knew with the language. He knew where we needed to be, where we didn't need to be. He knew who we needed to talk to, who we didn't need to talk to. He knew how the roads were terrible. I think they were already terrible, but the earthquake made them worse. And the roads were undrivable, but yet I felt safe with Ray driving with Ray in control. I mean, things, some things happened, things went down, things got stolen, but I just felt safe with Ray on the scene. And so that's the promise of God in this passage that we have a king, we have a ruler, we have a shepherd who knows where he's going, who knows what he's doing, who's ready to lead us. We've had this series, right church? But that's Jesus. He said he's come to shepherd his flock, to lead you to guide you, to help you. So trust him, lean on him. Let him be in charge of your life. Let him show you how to live. Let him be the one that takes you where you need to be and keeps you from the places that you, need, you don't need to be going. I love it, it says in Micah 5, it says about this promised Messiah who would come to Bethlehem that would give us this hope for today. It says his comings, his origins are from old, from ancient times. That's Jesus. Yes, his, he came in the lineage of David, and so he had the royal bloodline, but his origins are older than that. He came from a lot further back than David. He came further back than Adam. You can read the genealogies. He came, he stepped out of heaven, his origins are from old. By him and through him, all things were created. In him, in, in the beginning was God. The word was, was with God and the word was God. That's talking about Jesus. He was with God and was God in the beginning. So before time existed and after time will pass, there has always been and there will always be Jesus. And so we can trust him. We can count on him. We can follow his lead and that gives us hope. So I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what you're facing, but Jesus does. He knows what you're up against. He knows your dreams. He knows your struggles. He knows your fears and he knows your hopes. And the best thing that you can do this Christmas season is just put your life in his hands. And that gives you hope for today. But then lastly, there's hope for heaven, amen? There's hope for heaven. 700 years before Micah, God sent Micah in the worst of times to say he's gonna shepherd his flock and it says they will live securely and for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. You know, some of you might know this, but Bethlehem in Hebrew means the house of bread, which is pretty cool when you think and look back that in John chapter six, Jesus showed up and announced to everybody, he said, I'm the bread of life. He who trusts in me will not hunger and will never thirst. It's talking about the salvation that God was bringing to us through Jesus. It's the house of bread, the bread of life. It's really cool. But also in Arabic, Bethlehem means house of meat. So you got the house of bread and the house of meat. That's just a little bit weird. Why would those two things, um, why would Bethlehem be known by those two things? Well, 
I haven't been, but I've read and I've heard and I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express and so I think that helps. But on one side, the east side of Bethlehem is known for the harvest of barley and wheat. So very lush pasture that provided food for the land of Judah. But on the other side, on the northwest side, would be the grazing grounds of the sheep. The place that David, the shepherd boy, would even raise the sheep. But these weren't just any sheep. These were the sheep that would become the sacrifice for the nation of Israel in the temple of Jerusalem. Whoa, don't miss it. Louis did a beautiful job a few years ago at Passion unpacking this for this, but changed my life. Those same sheep born in Bethlehem were you know, delivered by the shepherds, protected, cared for, eventually herded to Jerusalem to be the, the substitute, to be the Passover lamb for the nation of Israel. So Jesus, the bread of life, who then would become the, sacri- the once for all sacrificial land for all of humanity, showed up in the house of meat. It's crazy, you, you dig a little bit deeper and you know, in Exodus chapter 12, before Micah, God instructed for worship and for this Passover celebration that the lamb needed to be pure, needed to be spotless, without blemish or defect. And so these shepherds, mortality rate would be maybe 30 or 40%, but these shepherds would be on the lookout and trying to find, because there was such great need and demand, they're trying to find these sheep that would do, that would be a suitable sacrifice. And so they would um, deliver them. I'm not making this stuff up. I don't think you can make this stuff up, but they would deliver them, wrap these sheep in swaddling clothes and put them to the side in a manger to protect them. That's what was happening even in the days of Jesus. But the whole time, God was pointing to his master plan. And of course he would have chose Bethlehem. Knowing all that was happening right then, of course he would have chose Bethlehem. It'd be the arrival spot, the arrival destination of this promised Messiah. If you, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 11 It says, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of his creation. He did not enter by the means of blood and goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean. Sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. But come on, how much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more will it cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God? He was, and he is, the sacrificial lamb, paid and sent to cover the debt of your sins. Once for all, there's no, there's no more need for the temple. There's no more need 
for the slaying of these innocent lambs because the perfect lamb, the spotless lamb, the sinless lamb, the once for all lamb of God, he has been slain. It has been finished. The price has been paid, church. And what started in Bethlehem for the sheep would eventually end at the temple of Jerusalem. But come on, what started in Bethlehem when Jesus arrived on earth, he would eventually be ushered to Jerusalem to give his life for the sins of all mankind. Wow. Whoa. Awe. Too good to be true. You gotta be kidding me. Is this just coincidence? Is this just made up after the fact? No, it's written. It's been promised and delivered on by someone who was in control the whole time. Someone who's always known what he's doing and always able to come through on what he's promised. It's Jesus. You know, I didn't pick liberal Kansas. Probably wouldn't have picked it. But Jesus picked. He chose where he wanted to be born. He chose Bethlehem at the perfect spot for his arrival. That's where he thought would be most fitting for him to show up. Not in the palace, but in the manger. So you and I could have hope. So you and I could believe the promises that he made and that you and I could worship him. And what this Christmas story demands out of all of us is a response. And I just wanna ask the question is our last Sunday gathering of 2016. What's your response? You know, some responses in Matthew chapter two, the Pharisees, that's where Herod went, right? Say, where, where should we be looking? Where is this kid gonna show up? And they're like, man, Bethlehem. Everybody knows Micah chapter five. You should check out Bethlehem. But what did the Pharisees do? The religious leaders do? The one that knew all the facts, what did they do? What was their response? They went back to business as usual. Let's not let this Christmas be business as usual. Let's not go through the motions. Let's not get numb to the story. Let's not just get caught up in the presents and the family and the food and the shopping and the, you know, whatever we wanna be doing, but let's step into worship. You know, Herod got angry. He found out about Jesus and it was a threat to what he had built. Some of you resist Jesus because he's a threat to your earthly empire, to the setup that you've built, what you've got going for yourself. <laughs> Herod's on the wrong side of history. So don't get angry, but find the eternal hope that is in this message of Christmas. The shepherds, few of them showed up they wanted to see. They probably knew the imagery more than anybody else. And so what did they do? They went and told the town. They went and told everybody they knew. 
I love that. Especially as we step into Christmas Eve, I love the thought that we've got what the world needs. So why would we not tell everybody that we know? And we're not pushing anything, any, down, anything down anyone's throat, but we're just saying, you don't wanna miss this promise of Christmas because it can change your life and change your forever. But the people in Bethlehem that heard the message, they, they aren't in the nativity scene as far as, they're not in my nativity scene in my house or Brittany's nativity scene. I just, you know, paid for it. But I think it's because most people didn't care. They didn't think they needed anything or anyone and they missed out on Jesus. But then the Magi, they weren't in the religious elite. They weren't in the in crowd. They weren't in the, the chosen people. But they came from a far off way to worship this son of God, this savior, this Messiah, this prince of peace, this eternal hope. They wanted to see for themselves. And when they saw, there was only one response worthy, worship. So church, I just wanna charge us. Let God stir in our hearts, renew in our hearts again, this awe, this worship. Open our eyes so we can see. And then we just wanna say, God, in return, I give you everything because that's worship. Hope was born so we could have life, we could worship, and that we could have hope for today and hope for heaven.